Good morning, church, once again. Very, very good and blessed to see all of you. Uh, We are the church uh, meeting together here with all of the other members of the body of Christ meeting in all the other places around Fluvanna County and around the world Uh, today, this day, the Lord's Day. uh, We are a unique breed, are we not? Called to be holy, just as he is holy, called to be different. So God calls us out of the world uh, to gather together, and then sends us back into the world to tell people what we found in Christ. Amen? Amen. So let's do this. Let's get Bibles into everybody's hands that doesn't already have one. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Guys in the back will bring them around to you. John chapter 4 is where we will pick up. We left off there last Sunday. Uh, and as the Bibles are coming around, take a moment to turn your cell phones off. John chapter 4, and uh, just for fun, let's mark Genesis chapter 3. Again, I never quite know if we'll end up referring to it or not, but good practice just to mark it. Genesis you ought to be able to find without too much trouble. For that, let's pray and we'll get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, here we are bodily, Lord, our, our physical frame seated in a chair, in a gymnasium in a middle school in Palmyra in the United States. Lord, here we are. And Lord, as we just settle before you, I pray that it would be more than just our physical frame. And right now, Lord, I pray for all of those that this morning, um, during the, the time of praise and singing, even right now, feel like outsiders. Just asking themselves, what am I doing here? I don't understand what these people are doing. And Lord, I pray that you would just open their hearts this morning and draw them closer to you. Anybody who has walls that they've put up, Lord, walls that are keeping you at a distance, walls of of their own false network of thinking, uh, own the, the empty wells that they've been drinking from, Lord, that those walls would just be torn apart. And that through the preaching and the reading of your word this morning, that you would pierce hearts, Lord. And that people would be moved. Lord, we, uh, we come to you, we bring our minds, we want to worship you, love you with our minds, our soul, our strength, all of us, Lord. And I pray that the words to the song we sang wouldn't just be empty words like so many uh, verses in your Bible are about, Lord. That we wouldn't just come uh, praising you with our mouth and having our hearts far from you. Lord, we don't want that to be, we don't want hypocrisy to be who we are. So when we tell you, Lord, you're all we're living for, make that our prayer, Lord. Transform that into our request. and, And overcome our will to live for other things. And make that true in our own lives. Father, open your word to us so that we can see marvelous things. We, we, uh, our, our mouths are open, Lord, feed us in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. John chapter 4, Genesis chapter 3, both are marked. And by way of, of quick introduction, uh, John wrote this gospel. He wrote these things down so that you could do, I could do what? You remember? It's right at the end of the gospel of John. He tells us exactly why he wrote, so that we might... Anybody want to take a chance? Not in front of this many people. I'm not being wrong. Uh Uh-uh. 
believe. It's really simple, right? Just look back there once again to the end of the Gospel of John. So Because I'm going to ask you again next week. End of the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31. John tells us exactly why he wrote. He was very purposeful. He didn't just sit down and say, gee whiz, I think I'd like to write a New York Times bestseller. You know, I think I need to write a book. No. He wrote very specifically, very purposely. Verse 31 says, These are written that you may believe. That you might believe. That's what John wants. He, he, you know, as John, the, the Apostle John, when he was an old man, they'd carry him into the church. And he would say, Little children, if, 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 there's, if there's only one thing you can do, if nothing else, do this. Love one another. That's what he would say at the end of his life. He'd lived his whole life. From, from the time he was a young man, probably the youngest apostle, 18 years old potentially, when he was following Jesus. And now as an old man, he says, look, I, I've, I've lived a life and I've realized that all that stuff, none of it really mattered. And here's what's important. That you believe and that you love one another. Because believing, he goes on to say, why, does he, why is your belief so important to John? He says that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Son of God, he's the Savior of the world, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's what he wants. That's what I want for my relatives. That's what I want for my children. That's what I want for this church. That's what you want, isn't it? I mean, real, a lot of people are alive, but they're not living. They think they're living. They have a pulse, but they're not living. And we're going to learn a lot more about that today. So back to John chapter 4. We are in the midst of the, uh, the meeting, this clandestine predetermined meeting between Jesus and a woman who was going about her daily routine of gathering water from a well. And, and in John chapter 4, verse 4, John tells us, but he, Jesus, needed to go through Samaria. He needed to. It's not just that he wanted to. He needed to. Why? Because he was searching. He was seeking. And that's what we learn there in, in verse 23 of chapter 4. He was seeking worshipers. True worshipers. And so he meets this Samaritan woman at the well. He tells her about water uh, that... that when she drinks it, she'll never thirst again. And she thinks, just like so many do, that Jesus is speaking about literal, physical water. And of course, he was speaking about spiritual water. Spiritual thirst. And, and by this time, she's beginning to, to get that. He, he reveals who he is. I am, she speaks about the Messiah, the Savior. And she says, or he says, that's who, I'm him. That's me. And that's where we left off last week. Sorry, I'm just adjusting my, my earpiece here. So we'll pick up at verse 27. And at, that, at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So we talked about the cultural ramifications of Jesus speaking to a, a strange woman. That they're, 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 I mean, I don't, that's not a personal commentary on her. You understand that. She, they didn't know each other. And it was very, very uncustomary for a male to speak to a female who was not uh, his wife or a close relative. Just, just didn't do it. She, so the, the disciples now come back. You can imagine this awkward 
scene. Jesus is there speaking to this woman, and now the disciples are coming back. They had gone into town to get food. And, and, and so now Jesus is there speaking with this woman, and they come up, and I can imagine the woman diverted her eyes, or like, oh, no, we're, we're, we're sort of caught. I don't think Jesus cared. But I, I can imagine the woman may have. And, and they're afraid to ask anything. They didn't, they didn't want to mention it. Like, oh, you know, they didn't say, what do, you, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Jesus, what are you doing? They just, they're, they're smart in that way. They just zip it and, and don't say a word. So verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. This woman at the well, you know, nobody knows her name throughout history. We speak of the woman at the well, and, and she's nameless. We don't know what her name is, but she's come to get physical water. You know, she's, she's living with a guy. We talked about that. She's living uh, in what the Bible would call sin, out of wedlock, involved in this relationship. And, uh, and Jesus has, has come to her. And what the thing of it is that's so interesting to me is what she recalls. He's talked to her about worship, worshiping in spirit and truth. And when she goes back into the city, I mean, she leaves her water pot. All of a sudden, the water pot is like, I, I, I've got something else going on here. And she just forgets the thing. And somebody's going, man, where is she with my water, you know? She left a while ago, and she's going to get back, and she's going to have some, some things to answer for. Where, where's the water pot? And she's going to have to explain where she left it and why. Because all of a sudden, the physical water wasn't so important anymore. And she said, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. What if you met someone who didn't know you, but somehow knew everything you ever did? What if any of us knew everything you ever did? All the things you did in secret, all the things you think nobody knew about, and someone all of a sudden says to you, I, I know all about that. And you, oh, I mean, if it was me, or maybe some of you. See, here's the thing. One of the reasons, one of the ways I know, and I'm so convinced to my core that the Bible is the Word of God, it's because I don't read it, it reads me. You ever found that to be true? I mean, I can't tell you how many times after a church service like this, someone comes up to me and says, what, are you reading my mail? Did my wife talk to you? What's going on? How did you know that about me? I didn't. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it gets down deep, it's a, and it even discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so I read God. I've never read a book that has done a more accurate or precise job of explaining the world I live in, human nature, sinfulness, the difficulties in the world, all of it. <clears throat> you read the Word of God. You know, the first time I sat down, start reading the Bible like many of you, start in Genesis chapter 1. That's where we start. We'll start at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. And I got to chapter 5, and uh, that was it, done. I can't read. I've, I get you know, log jammed right there at chapter 5, and then I say, okay, I'm going to try again. And I showed up at a Bible study, a men's Bible study, and I told the guy, I tossed my Bible to him, I said, I don't understand this book. I don't understand it. But I kept going to Bible study, kept going to Bible study, and what I began to realize over time was that this book was speaking to my heart. And I began to see myself in this book, and this book began to point out things about myself that I never wanted to admit were true. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I would have never known covetousness unless... God's law had said, don't covet. 
And so we see God's word. And so this is what, see, the interesting thing to me is it doesn't make her run away. It makes her recognize that, there's, that Jesus is who he is, that we said he was. I mean, this guy, he knows me. And she says, could it be that this is the Messiah? That's what verse 20 says, uh, or the end of uh, verse, uh, excuse me, the end of verse 29. Could this be the Christ? I mean, this guy knows everything about me, and yet he's come to me. He hasn't run away from me, and I'm not running away from him. Remember Adam and Eve there in Genesis chapter 3? We marked that. Just go there real quick. You've already got it marked, so it shouldn't be hard to to get to. Genesis chapter 3. Because there's something real telling about how we deal with the piercing word of God in our lives. And this is when Adam and Eve, you know, fall into sin. Eve eats of the tree, the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam, who was with her, eats as well. And then um, verse 7 says, look at chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Their response to knowing that they were naked. I mean, what, that's what the, the Hebrews chapter 12 passage says. All things are naked and open in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, there is nothing, there is nothing in your life that is a surprise to God. That, that when you come up and you say, yes, I'd like to give my life to the Lord. And, and, and you figure you're going to open your heart to God. And he's going to get in there and go, oh, I didn't know that was there. You did What? And the tendency is to hide, and church becomes this place where we're all trying to hide from each other. And and sometimes church is a place where we hide from God. And that's what I love about this congregation is, you know, you know, your pastor is just a normal human being, just like you. We're all trying to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, trying to sort this stuff out, aren't we? Somebody else say amen. I mean, we are. Because all things are naked and open to him. We can hide from each other, but we can't hide from him. But the tendency is that when, when, you, when we go through a Bible study like this, or when we get into the Word of God and you find something that's telling about your life or that, that the Bible calls sin, the tendency can be to run away from it by justifying it or run away from it by blaming it. It's, it's their fault. Now, this woman has had five failed marriages. And at some point, if you've had five failed relationships... You stop saying, well, it's their fault. It's their fault. At some point, you've got to look in the mirror, don't you? At some point, after five failed relationships, you know, the mirror can be tough to look in, can it? Maybe the problem isn't them. Maybe the problem is me. Maybe it's not finding the right spouse. Maybe it's being the right spouse. Maybe it's not knowing the Word of God. Maybe it's letting the Word of God search me. That's what David said. You have searched me and you have known me in Psalm 139. You have mined out the things in my life. You have gotten in there like a miner gets into a, to a cave and starts digging out the gold or whatever he's mining out in those little areas, pointing out those spots. Steve, that, needs to, that isn't aligned with my will. That isn't the best for your life. That isn't the, according to what holiness would be. And then he penetrates, and the Word of God is very penetrating. And so that's what, back to John chapter 4, Uh, 
actually, you're back in John 4. Just stay there. But I want to finish this little Genesis passage. And just So they, they hid from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? I love that when God asks a question. Adam, where are you? He knew right where Adam was. So he said, this is what Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And I think John chapter 4 is trying to remind us that God already knows you don't have to be afraid. There's nothing in your life that scares him or that he can't deal with. And so the Samaritan woman, now we're in John chapter 4, she goes into the city, she speaks to the men, which is an interesting commentary there, an interesting note, men at the gate maybe, the men that she knows, the men that know her, we don't exactly know who they are, but she speaks to them and she says, could this be the Christ? He told me all things I ever did. And they went out of the city and they came to him. So as a response to what she said, she could have run, she could have gone home and said, I'm just going to forget the whole thing ever happened, like some of you will do after church today. You'll hear something today and you'll go home and say, I just want to forget the whole thing ever happened. I know something in me was stirring, my heart was pounding, something, I know that God was desiring a response from me, but I'm just going to, if I forget about it, it'll go away, right? You ever done that? I'm just going to ignore it. If I ignore it long enough, it will go away. And the scary part is, that's true. The more you resist the Lord, the harder your heart gets until finally it's it's set, It's it's hardened. Now, the Lord can always break down a hard wall once you're ready to let him. But this woman, she didn't put it off. She didn't say, well, I'm just going to forget about it. She didn't say, I'm going to sit and I'm going to stew on. I'm not sure what happened there. I'm not sure what was going on. Uh, and she went and she told people, this guy, I mean, I read this Bible and it's, Jesus is the living word. I read this book and it knows me. The author of this book knows me. Knows the things I think, knows the way I act, knows the way I operate. And she tells him. So now, that story kind of takes a break. Verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. So the disciples have come back. They've brought food. Now they're speaking to Jesus, saying, Rabbi, teacher, you need to get something to eat. I mean, you're looking a little peaked. That lamb on your shoulders must be getting heavy by now. No, that's a joke. Sorry. Uh, the pictures, you know, he's always real thin and gaunt and he has the lamb over. Never mind. Is everybody awake out there? Or was that just not funny? That's pro- Okay, that's true. <clears throat> just checking. Rabbi, eat. And they're speaking of physical food, right? Need something to eat. And Jesus says to them, he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. And of course, what are they thinking? They're thinking, what, he pack a sandwich? Where's the cooler? You know, they're thinking, when he says, I've got food you don't know about, they're thinking, he has a secret stash under the bed of Snickers bars, you know, or whatever it is. He's got food. Nobody knows about it. His disciples said to him, verse 33, or said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? I mean, where's he getting this food from? And Jesus said to them, now this is great. We're going to camp out here for a few minutes. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Wow. Wow. Let's just start looking at that piece by piece. So first of all, he's not talking about literal food. He's talking about spiritual food. My food, the thing that feeds me, what feeds you? What is it? What is it? Really? We all do things. There's some kind of inner motivation in all of us, isn't there? There's a reason we all do what we do. And there's, 
You know, I was thinking about this when I work with people with addiction. Uh, when, I, when I meet people or talk to people, let's say just alcohol addiction, for example. You can pick any addiction, but alcohol addiction. It's amazing that the motivation to drink is stronger than the motivation to have your family or to have your job or whatever because alcoholism uh, and, and excessive drinking uh, will lead to those things, lead to homelessness, lead to joblessness, all those things. But the motivation still is stronger. See, we are, we are this competing motivations in our lives, aren't we? And the stronger motivations win. We do the thing that seems to feed us the most, feeds that inner thing. For some people, it's attaboy syndrome. You got attaboy syndrome? You're just doing things for what people see so people tell you, attaboy, good job. And that feeds something in us. I'm, I'm, that's, that's where I come from. When you grow up in the, in, the, in the age and the culture of reward systems, we're all looking for someone to... We expect this reward. That a boy, we're, all, we're living and operating for this reward we get from other people. May have to make sure people see what we do so they say, that a boy. And I grew up, you know, every time I got good grades, my dad took me, it was called Kitty City. It was a toy store, you know, Kitty City. And it, it, that was, I was just expecting, you know, I got, dad, I got good grades. Let's go off to Kitty City, get a toy. And so I learned it's like, you know, behavioral modification. I learned that I do this so I can get that. But Jesus said, my food is to do, not to consider, not to ponder, not to meditate on the will, but to do. Jesus was a doer, wasn't he? I looked up this, well, we'll we'll get to this in a second. I'll, I'll come back to that. So at some point, my food, what feeds Jesus? So what is it, what is it that motivates Jesus? What is it that is his primary feeding thing in his life? And some of you are fed by all variety. I mean, it can be anything. Some of you are fed by recreation. Some of you are fed by... Now, these things aren't in and of themselves wrong. But what you feed will grow. Is that true or not true? You feed something, it grows. You feed that addiction, it doesn't go away, it gets stronger. You feed your flesh, your flesh gets what? Stronger. You feed your spirit, your spirit gets what? Stronger. So the question is, what do you want to get stronger in your life? If I've got, you know, uh, well, you understand the concept, right? What you feed gets stronger. And, and there's, we're trying to do this, this Christian life, feeding our flesh and wondering why our spirit is not getting stronger. We spend little time reading the word, little time in prayer, little time in fellowship. All of our time is taken up doing all these other things, and then we wonder why we struggle to live the Christian life. The closer we approximate Jesus' life, the more satisfied and fulfilled you will be on the inside. And he says, my food, this is what feeds him above all other, other, he didn't care what people thought, he didn't care about external pressure, he said, I've got one thing, does God want me to do that or not? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, not his own will, to do the will of of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Now the Bible tells me that we are God's creation. We are his poema. You know that from, from Ephesians chapter 2? We are his workmanship, like a poem, like an author sits down to write a poem, or a potter sits down to, to make a, a, a little artistic work. The Bible says that's what you are in Christ Jesus. You have been created for good works. That you should walk in them. God has given us uh, something to believe and then something to 
do that's unique to how he's made you. That no one else can do it like you can do it because no one else thinks the way you do or no one else responds to it. It's unique to who you are. He's made you. And then he's predetermined these things from before the foundation of the world. He's lined out these, these things for you to do that you would do them. And we sang the song, didn't we? We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. A servant is the most satisfied when his master is satisfied. And a son, a son to his father. And so Jesus says, my will is to, to or my, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And, and I like this, not just to start it, but to finish it. And then what did Jesus say from the cross? Finished. Finished. He did it. The Apostle Paul says the same thing to Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Now, I like athletic references because I like athletics. And I, and I like to compete in bicycle racing. I don't like to run. But, I mean, imagine a, a marathon. And, and there's a certain number of people running. And, and there's a certain number of people that are just watching. For they're on TV. They're sitting at home watching it on TV or, or wherever they might be along the, the, the route watching. And, and they're running. And, and they don't, those, those people that are watching, they're not, hey, they, they can get in their car, go home anytime they want. They can go get a glass of water, bag of chips. They can go have dinner. They can watch something else. On, they can do whatever they want. They're free in that way. The people that are running uh, have, have trained. They've spent time in, in training. They've, they know sacrifice. And then during the race, they know pain. Anybody run a marathon in here? Some, there's some marathoners in here. So you know pain when you run the race. You know suffering. You know struggle. And you know, and this is one of the most important things, persistence. The word persistent means continuing firmly or obstinately in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Doesn't that describe Jesus? Doesn't that describe the marathon runner? Paul said, I have finished the race. So, so that person who, who doesn't ever get in the race never has to deal with struggling or suffering or, or that kind of thing. But you know what else they never know? They never know the joy of having finished they never know of the joy of completing it, working it out to the end. One of my favorite quotes, Teddy Roosevelt. I, you, know, you have some quotes that you go back to regularly in your life. Uh, some of you probably already know this, but maybe it's new to a few of you. This is, um, this is from Teddy Roosevelt. He said, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how, strong, how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. To whom the credit belongs, Teddy Roosevelt. And and I think when I look at the life of Jesus and I see that he was persistent, was he not? Despite opposition, he said, I am going to do the Father's will. And I'm going to finish his work. And I hope that 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 that's something that we are approximating ourselves to that we are being called to 
to figure out what is it that Jesus wants me to do? What is God's will for my life? There are some things that are very clear and there are some things that we're still trying to figure out. And then he says to his disciples, because this is a, he's speaking straight to them. He says to his disciples, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. I mean, so it's the springtime. It's the time of the Passover. Jesus had just been at the Passover, so it's springtime. And between springtime is the time for planting and then harvest time four months later. So they say, hey, you know, it's only the springtime. We've got four months to the harvest. We just just have to wait wait it out. And again, Jesus, now this woman has gone into Samaria and all these people are coming out to Jesus. And I imagine that as Jesus says this, he says, lift up your eyes and look. All these people are coming out of Samaria to him. They're probably all dressed in white. That was the customary dress of the Samaritans. Because fields aren't usually white for harvest. Probably speaking of the Samaritan people that are coming out of the city to hear Jesus. Does you say, hey, we've got time. Listen, folks, the time is now. You know, well, when the kids are older and the dog dies, that's when we'll get around to doing the will of God. We know, look, life is a vapor. There's no guarantees. And I want to hear, well done, good and faithful. I don't, you know, we live this life by faith, don't we? Sometimes we see other people enjoying certain things or doing, living a certain way, and we think, you know, maybe I'd like to go do that or do this. And I, I keep thinking, no, I'm in, God has called me to this race. Maybe he's not called you to run that race or that person to run that race or to run my race, but I'm called to run this race. And I'm going to run it until because I've got one life. And once it's done, it's done. And I want, I, I'm just trusting by faith that what the Bible says is true and that when I die... I'm going to face Jesus Christ, and I hope he's going to say to me, well done. Enter into the joy. Enter into the joy. You, you, know, you can have all that joy now, or at least try to. Or we can, we can do his will and enter into the joy, the, the real, true, and eternal joy of the Lord. Amen? So lift up your eyes. By the way, he just says, lift up your eyes and look around. You know, it's not like you have to go to India or Uganda or anywhere. That's not wrong. I mean, those are great. I love to see people go out. And I hope some of our kids and our young folks and our older folks go out onto the mission field other places. But look, just lift up your eyes and look around in Fluvanna County. There's plenty of people that need to know where, life, where life's source is. Who got I me? Mean, they're at the gym. They're on the soccer field. They're on the baseball field. They're in the schools. Amen to that. Right. So look, folks. Don't say, I'm going to put it off, or don't say, well, that's not for around here. He says to disciples, and I think it's true today, just lift up your eyes and look. He says, the harvest is ready. The fields are ready. And this is interesting, verse 36, and he who reaps, receive wages. Uh, Reaping is the the bringing in, the cutting down of the the plants or the, the, the grains. And he, he reaps, receives wages, gets paid, and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So one person is out 
planting the seeds. They're out there with the big bag of seeds or the tractor or the John Deere, whatever they're planting. And then another group comes along and, and they cut it down and, and bring it in. And they both equally participate, right? And the harvest that, that Jesus is speaking of is the eternal one. And I remember we were, just this past Sunday, we watched the, uh, the, the movie, or the documentary about Calvary Chapel and how Calvary Chapel began and, and Chuck Smith, um, you know, God using him back in the late 60s, early 70s to minister to the hippie movement and, and all that came out of that. What an eternal harvest that has brought. But the interesting thing was to hear Chuck Smith saying he was going to go to med school. And again, not to say that maybe med school is, is, or being a doctor is God's will for your life, but Chuck said, as he was making this decision, he said, I can treat people medically and, and help them out medically. And that's a good thing. We're thankful for doctors. Amen? Okay. We're thankful for, for that. But he says, I'm going to treat them and they'll get better for a time, maybe, and then they're going to die. And if I'm a pastor, I can help them for eternity. I can help their souls for an eternal, for eternal life, not just temporary. And so, of course, Chuck chose to follow the Lord into ministry. Again, not saying that that's, being a doctor is wrong or anything like that, but just saying there, there is the temporary and there is the eternal. And Jesus says, look, I'm not talking about a temporary. I'm not talking about the harvest of grain that you're see, seeing there in the field. I'm talking about lift up your eyes and look at people. Look at what people are going through. Just speaking with someone as they were coming in uh, to church this morning whose heart is tremendously burdened for uh, a, a news article I hadn't seen about a killing that had happened. Uh, an athlete was killed. I, I didn't see the article. But, I mean, there is, there is so much craziness going on. And, and we have the living and powerful Word of God. And we have the Savior. Of the, we know Him. There's one of my favorite stories is in, in 2 Kings chapter 7. It's about four lepers. I'll just give it to you briefly. It's about four lepers. And there's a famine in the city. And there's, everybody's dying because the, the city's surrounded and, uh, by, by an attacking uh, nation. And they're cut off from their food sources. And they're cut off from, from all that. And so everybody's starving. And, and they're, they're, food is like through the roof expensive. If you can find any, it's like amazingly expensive. And so they're all figuring that, so these four lepers are sitting in the gate figuring, you know, we're, we're going to die. If we stay here, we're going to die. So let's go out to the enemy encampment. And if we, if we just turn ourselves over to the enemy there, then we'll, we'll at least maybe they'll feed us, right? So they say, well, we're going to die. If they kill us, they kill, so we're going to die here or we're going to die there. It doesn't really matter. Let's go for it. Let's try. Maybe this will help. So they go out to the enemy encampment and God has already kind of, done something that dispersed the army. So all of their tents and all their provisions are just sitting there. And the tents are empty. So these four lepers go out there and they're looking around like, where is everybody? You know, what's going on? It's like a ghost town, but all the food and supplies are still there. So, you know, they, do, they start munching down. They're like, woo you know, they're just gorging themselves and all this food. And then one of them says, wait, 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 wait a second. What are we doing? I mean, we're sitting here and we're gorging ourselves on all this food and there's people back there that are still starving. It is not right for us to sit here and enjoy what we're enjoying while people back there are still starving. We've got to go and tell them. And so they did to go back to the city and they tell the people, hey, the provisions are out here. So, and that's a lot like sharing what you have, isn't it? 
That's like, hey, look, here we are. We're enjoying and we're having and we're feeding on the Lord. We're feeding on his word. And, and it's not right for us to sit, to sit here and say, we just, we just want it for ourselves. None of those tattooed people in here. None of those people we don't understand in here. If you play video games, not for you. Whatever it is, you know. We've got to share it with people. That's exactly, the, people need to hear the word of God. Do they not? Amen. So, this is about eternity. So, for verse 37, for in this the saying is true, one sows, one plants the seeds, and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Now, who is Jesus speaking of right there? Interesting. Somebody else did all the work. You just get to reap the harvest. Who did the work? The woman from the well. She went in. You know, she did, one woman goes into this, this, the city, tells everybody about Jesus. They start coming out to him. She planted the seed. And now the disciples are there. Oh, well, let's baptize you. I don't know what they're doing with it, but the disciples are now getting to to introduce them to Jesus. And I, I just, one woman who was bold enough to tell other people, one probably notoriously sinful woman, one woman who failed at a lot of things and was living in sin right then. But I, I think she got it, don't you? I think she understood exactly what Jesus was saying. And she just simply tells people, you got to come and see. That's what she said there in verse 29. She said, come and see. Just come and see. And so, the, so Jesus labored. He's the one that said, I have to go through Samaria. Then the woman, she sowed some seeds. And now the, the disciples are there. They're just getting to enjoy what's been happening. And verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. She's become a worshiper and, and now she's a witness. He told me all that I ever did. That's what she testified. He told, this is, he told me all that I ever did. He knows me, and he still came to me. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves, circle, underline, and, and, and understand that. For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And that's where we're going to stop today. Um, there is a point at which you've heard from somebody else about their faith and you know, what Jesus is doing in their life or how the, the, the Bible has been meaningful to them. But uh, at some point, you've got to have your own faith. You can't live off your parents' faith. You can't live off your grandparents' faith or your pastor's faith. You have to come and see for yourself, right? I mean, I think when we meet the Lord, there's going to be this woman from Samaria. And, and all of these people that she sort of led to the Lord, all the fruit from her ministry, all going to be there. And all the people that, said, that, that had rejected the Lord, God's going to say, well, they believe. I mean, here's a woman who is living in sin, struggling in her life, uh, an outcast of sorts. And she believed. And if she believed, guess who else can believe? You can. There's only, the only thing that separates you from the Lord is, is whatever hardness, whatever distance that you put between you and him. He is waiting for you. He has come here uh, in this school uh, to seek you out. 
And someone else has invited you to come and see. The question is, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Amen? Amen. Phil's going to come up and um, close us with a, a final song. If the Lord is stirring your heart, you can leave here and not respond and, and go about your day. But uh, I think that uh, definitely take heed to the woman at the well. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.